I'm Anna Parker. And I'm Miriam Chancellor. Welcome to Big Mistake, the podcast that unpacks the failures and mistakes of top professionals. So, to make us, and hopefully you, feel better about the mistakes we all make in our careers and lives, we'll be talking with high performers to understand the behind the scenes and less glamorous moments of the business world. Braces, how are they going? I have them in. My speech has improved. I've been told by some people they're very visible. I've been told by others that they're not. Mm. I've come to terms with them and I'm doing okay. Great. Yeah. You? I had mine put in yesterday and before I, so the drive to the dentist is about 30 minutes and before that I went to the dentist, the orthodontist, I called Michael to rant about how I'm having braces again because You've ne- have you ever had braces before? No, I don't. Right, so this is your first experience. Yes. Yeah. And this is my third experience with braces. So I had braces when I was a child, um, and then I chucked them in the fire because I didn't want to wear them because they were what? removable. Your parents not, must have been thrilled. But m- m- all one said was, you know, well, you're not having any more. And I never had braces again. Wow. Yeah. So I used to suck my thumb. Ah. So all my jaw was a bit screwed up because I used to suck my thumb for a Until long time. Until you were 16. Yeah, about that. Are you serious? I was, I, 18. I was joking. At night. So you wouldn't know. So it's not like I'm going around school oh, sucking wow. my thumb as a 16-year-old. But definitely till 18 at night. And it wasn't until I is... left and went to university. Are you sure you don't want me to edit this out of the, the podcast? No. Wow. Was... I'm, never, I'm never embarrassed no, or ashamed about I anything I do. It, it's quite It's all there. part of the fabric of life, which means that... You're, you have better stories, you're a bit more interesting. I'm just imagining you with your early boyfriends, and you'd be like, right, good night. I think if you're 16, I think if you're a 16-year-old boy, and you're lucky enough to have a girl stay overnight, let's say, the last thing you're going to care about is whether they're sucking their thumb or not. And if, actually, you think about it, it might be of a benefit. I don't even, I'm so naive, I don't even know what that comment means. So let's, let's move it along. So, so okay, so they, so you've got the main... Oh, Miriam! But you, you, had, you had some problems with the Invisalign the, the day after. So I took out the retainer, chucked it in the fire, that was gone. Yeah, yeah no, but I'm, now we're now fast oh, forward. Oh, yeah, so then I had to have, eight, fast forward eight years, yep. I look at my teeth and I think, oh, um, it'd be nice to get them fixed eight years ago. Go to see the dentist, and the dentist said, oh, you've actually got a few more jaw issues going along you should go see a maxiofacial surgeon wow. the max fact surgeon says your jaw is pushing your um windpipe back i bet you stop sleeping you'll stop breathing while you sleep i'm going to send you for a sleep study so i did this whole overnight sleep study to find out that my lower jaw was crushing my windpipe as i slept and i had really full-blown sleep apnea <gasps> where you would have a stroke or a heart attack as you slept and you didn't know when you're older so they said you have to have surgery pretty quickly to get this changed so i had 15 hour jaw surgery i've I've got 13 plates and 33 screws and then i had to have braces for three years went for this whole thing not funded by anyone by the way so that was all privately funded how much are we talking um about 60k eight years ago so yeah a lot of money lot 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 of money and i didn't have i I didn't have a mortgage, I didn't have anything. So it's not like I had, it was easy to access that sort of money yeah. um, at all. And anyway, I then go back to the orthodontist. You just have checks every so often because of all the things I've gone through. And they said, oh, your jaw is actually relapsing. We need to put you back in braces. 
So this is more recently. This is this is the yesterday back in braces again. Wow. So so by the end of this, my jaw will be far in excess of a hundred k. But we're gonna have great teeth at the end of it. I know. Yeah. 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 Um. So what else? Um, oh, how lovely it's been. So, speaking of dentists, so I go in to see my dentist. Shout out to James Stone at Eastridge mm. um, Tooth Company. And he was saying how, how he listens to our podcast, loves our energy, and all these really complimentary things, which I thought was so nice. And then the Pilates teacher, Susan, from Why Don't I Remember My Pilates I Go To Every Week total reform anyway I'm, I'm only ever interested in the person that yeah. runs it as Susan. opposed to the business she said that she was stuck in the driveway listening to our episode and the husband had to come out and was worried like why his wife was stuck in the driveway because she wanted to finish it oh, that's I so love sweet. all those stories like that yeah that's, that's so, so cute yeah I had I was in an event last night and Renee came up and said that uh, she has been listening and she says that she uh, doesn't listen to many podcasts and she listened to this and she said she wished it was weekly. So there you are. And then so the last thing to talk about, well, one of the last things, was how I actually made a mistake at work this week. And it was, I can't go into too many details, the whole insurance broking confidential. Yeah, understood. But it was a simple mistake with potentially huge ramifications that... Look, it has probably been sorted now, but in that moment, I actually discovered it about 10 o'clock at night. Oh, no. And you can't solve anything at 10 o'clock at night. All that happens is you just stay up. And you stress about it. Totally. Because you put so much effort into trying to be, I don't want to say the word perfect, but doing a really, really good job because you care about what you do. And then to see something like that, which was a simple mistake and just how you feel is just... So what were the potential ramifications without giving too much details away? Um, The potential ramifications would be that um, a big chunk of money... Would be lost. Would be be lost. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Which is your fault? Definitely my fault. Yeah. Definitely my fault. I mean, you can, everyone can always come up with excuses around what's going on in your life, what are the circumstances around that, but ultimately, the buck ends with you, so if something's happened, because something, someone in your team or just something's been missed, well, that's your fault. It yeah. lands on your shoulders, totally. so, you know, so that's, that's something I have to bear. And I actually have a lot of respect for people who totally acknowledge and be like, that was my error, yeah. no excuses, I let the ball drop. Sincerely yeah. sorry. And I've, I've, funny enough, I've actually made a few errors of those in the last, like, literally last 24 hours, probably three, all reasonably minor, but where I've just mucked up a scheduling thing. And these are dealing with very busy people because I'm in the process of hiring an assistant. My life at the moment is just a little bit all over the show and I'm having to do things that I wouldn't usually have to do. And I just feel like I'm spread quite thinly. And as a result, I've let the ball drop three times in the last 24 hours with scheduling and meant to be meeting people but then I wasn't there and 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 I just and I hate that because for me I've got a bit of an unbearable feeling about letting others down and I I just recoil and hate letting others down the funny thing is if someone were to let me down I'd be okay with it and I'd get over it really quickly and I'd be reasonably chilled but for some reason I just can't do that and I've done that a lot in the last yeah as I said just in the last day or so and it's very tempting, I find, to respond to those circumstances with, 
you know, some secondary reason or some secondary, it's almost like we've talked on a previous episode about why, why you made that mistake and almost try and gloss over it or cover it up. But at the end of the day, to your point, the buck stops with you and it completely was my error. So I've just got to the point of fessing up to that and saying, yeah, no, no excuses. That was my fault. I let the ball drop. I'm deeply sorry. Can we reschedule something like that? So yeah, it's something that I'm, I've, not to the extent of losing people a lot of money, but certainly mucking people around accidentally and, and causing them to spend unnecessary time waiting for me at a meeting that I never turned up to. How forgiving we are with others and how harsh we are on ourselves. I'm always, like you said, I'm always pretty forgiving of so, others. So, funny enough, I reckon most, I reckon there'd be a lot of people that are actually the other way around. Really? Yep. I reckon a lot of people are blame shifters. They say, not my fault. I didn't get the calendar invite or you should have followed up with me. It's your fault. But then, and then never let things... Jump on the defensive. Jump on the defensive and never let let things go. So I think it depends on the person. I'm not sure what's healthier. Probably taken to the extreme, neither are healthy, but... I mean, no one likes to be under attack. So again, I can completely see why people do jump on the defensive. Yeah. Because they feel like they're being attacked and they want to defend themselves. Yeah. Anywho, well, I'm glad that's sounding like it's being resolved for you. Yeah, I think so. Okay. It was nice to... It was bad that I looked at it at 10 o'clock at night and then had the whole night oh, to ruminate yeah. on it. But that. as soon as I jumped on a call with the person um, that it affected and all the circumstances around it, I actually found a solution Great. pretty quickly. Great. And it was all a lot better just Great. by talking and, and, and figuring it out and owning it, owning it fast. Owning it fast. Owning it's it fast. So Discovering true. it at 10. I sent the email out to a couple of people in the team and said, this has happened. It was jumped on. There were then a few meetings the next day. It was, it was resolved. Yeah, it's But if so you'd true. covered it up and if you'd gone, if I'd gone, oh, I think I'll fix this myself, I can really see how I would be in a very different position right now. Totally. Yeah, jumping on it fast. And I think to your point, getting on the phone yes. or on a call, yes. on a video call, as opposed to sending emails. I Yeah, that's I learned that trick recently as well. And it's just quickly it also enables you to show your remorse if it is your fault totally. and actually apologize and, and my email tone is actually not good because i'm, I'm always trying to I, I don't view emails as something the highs and the buys no. and all of that they really annoy me it's just an exchange of information i'm having a conversation Direct. and i just want to get get some through something quite fast yeah. whereas in person it's more where you get to see someone's personality and you can explain all of those sorts of things and show all the emotions that you want to show exactly so yeah i'm not a huge fan of emails yeah, i'm definitely yeah. a fan of in-person yeah. calls particularly for problem solving definitely for problem solving mediation for sure so our guest our guest was wellington based and we went on a Wellington road trip. Flight trip. Flight yes. trip. Yeah, you oh, did yeah. say to me, hey, should we consider driving down? I said, and I, I don't think I could do six hours of you in the car. So we did <laughs> jump on the flight. Is it six hours? About that. I don't yeah. know. But one of the things, oh, it should be noted, we were actually going down for work. We were. As opposed well, to, you were. As opposed to this podcast being such an immediate huge success that we are flush with cash and could just fly down to Wellington to interview someone. Correct. We were going for work and then we just found some time um, in an evening to, to talk to the guests. Yes. So on this episode of Big Mistake, we are interviewing the international superstar DJ Christopher Tubbs, who is Wellington based. And you will hear me properly introduce him at the beginning of 
the the podcast but he is someone that has worked in some of the performed in some of the most amazing clubs all around the world like fabric and ministry of sound in london privilege and space in ibiza rex club in paris and singapore's zook and anna you mentioned that you've actually been to some of those clubs. absolutely yeah a lot of them so the clubbing scene in germany is actually really big and i've spent a lot of time in ibiza as well do you remember in the car ride the taxi ride out there because it was an eastbourne yes. we were going to and i just gave you the lowdown of what a club would be like <laughs> talking to miss classical music miriam yeah, and explaining yeah. what clubs were like and i just gave you this whole 30 minute insight into the world of clubbing and ibiza and london and yes what that would have been like. All I will say to that is I stepped out of that cab with eyes wide open after that conversation. I got that insight. So, so yes, it was a fun interview and super fun to do it as well out of Christopher's home in Eastbourne. And it was the most beautiful Wellington day. And Wellington itself was fun. So I hadn't been to Wellington in a long time. We had such a great couple of days. We had a great couple of days. So what was, what was our Well, do you remember seeing me at the airport? With all my bags. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so I was going down for a golf tournament as well. So yeah. work, I was playing in the golf tournament. So to be fair, I... Well, so it was two nights, though. So this is... So let me tell the story, okay? Because okay? this is this is from outwardly looking in. This was very funny. Uh, Anna demands that I pick her up from her house to then travel to the airport, which we do. And as I turn up, Michael and his husband starts loading the, this luggage, this plethora of luggage into the car and I'm thinking hold on does Anna know we're only going for two nights so here I am with my handbag and my carry-on for the two nights which most people I'm sure will agree with me is is sufficient but I have the largest size suitcase you can find I then have all my golf clubs in a bag I also then have my work laptop in another bag with all the documents there and, and a carry on, I think. And well. prob- probably. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it was a lot. It was a lot. And then we get, and then I said to Anna, "Why are you? Why do you have so much luggage?" And and the comment seriously still astounds <laughs> me. It was, well, otherwise, how would I fit in my pillow yeah. and my fan? Trusty pillow, trusty fan. So Close wherever I go. So it turns out Anna is very loyal to her pillow, and that she has to have a fan blowing air on her face yep. every night yep. so that was no that matter was, the temperature no matter the temperature that is hilarious so yeah it, wellington was great fun uh we i came to support you at your golf tournament which was lovely my version of support was sitting outside the clubhouse in the sun drinking a glass of chardonnay watching anna from afar as she she flung her golf club about and then we had an awards ceremony after and that was that was fun that was such a good day I look out and see you sat at a table. Oh yeah, yeah. So this is this is towards the end of the day. So we had gone into the clubhouse, and there were these group of guys, and you were faffing about with your uh, your golf friend. So I was like, oh, I'm not really. This is not really. I can't. Caffeine or being part of an award. Oh, being a part of awards. <laughs> but I was like, this is not. You know, this is not my scene. I don't. Yeah. This is before I started learning to play golf and so I thought oh, I'll go out there's this group of guys outside so I'll just go and join them at their table um and I went out and joined these guys and I was like hey yeah good day I'm like yeah good day I'm like, 
oh, do you mind if I join you? No, no, come on, come by. It's, it's fine. I said, oh, so what brings you? Are you local? And they're like, oh, no, we've flown to Wellington. I'm like, oh, what brings you to Wellington? And they said, oh, we're here for cricket. I'm like, oh, great, cool. Um, you any good? And then they said, yeah, um, we're okay. We're, we play for the Black Caps. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And then we ended up talking to the, the Black Caps for a while. Um, we're still yet to get Gary, the coach, on to Big Mistake. So that was a great trip. And so, yeah, Wellington, Wellington was awesome. Uh, it was a privilege to spend time uh, at various spots and catch up with, with Christopher at his home. So, yeah, we really hope you enjoy this episode of Big Mistake with the one and only... Christopher Tubbs. So we are thrilled to be here in Wellington with Christopher Tubbs. Christopher is one of the only Kiwis to have played in some of the very legendary clubs around the world, which include Fabric and Ministry of Sound in London, which Anna said on the way here that she had been to, mm-hmm. Privilege and Space, Rex Club in Paris, and Singapore's Zouk. Christopher, welcome to Big Mistake. It's great to have you here. How are you feeling this morning on this beautiful, idyllic morning in Eastbourne, Wellington? I'm feeling good. I think I've had a bit too much coffee. But, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm kind of practically velcro to the ceiling at the moment. And also slightly anxious because normally when I do a podcast or interviewed for any kind of media, it's always about just directly music. So I can roll out the same old anecdotes and tell the same stories and I'm very much in my comfort zone. So this is interesting. Okay. Because it's completely different for me. So yeah, I'm slightly nervous, excited. (laughs) Good, good. And that's like, we'd love to get as much as you're willing to share uh, any content that perhaps hasn't been so heard and used before. I think that's... You know, judging by your format, that is undoubtedly going to happen. Great. So we were introduced, you and I were introduced through your cousin, Richard. Yes. uh, And he says hi, by the way. Uh. (laughs) And as you know, the goal of Big Mistake is to unpack a particular professional or personal mistake Mm. that the individual who we are sitting with has made. So let's just jump straight into it. And was there anything else you wanted to add? We'll just go straight into it. You've got a mouthful of croissants slightly, so I'm going to take that as Christopher. This is the first time that a guest has provided some food. It's very nice. (laughs) They are gorgeous pastries. We're normally hosting people in our studio, so I've done some sort of baking or made some sort of tea, so this is a new experience already. It's very nice. (laughs) Which is another reason why it's best to keep the guests talking so we can (laughs) consume all the food. So, Christopher, big mistake. Take us through, paint a picture, what is your big mistake? Okay, so when I lived in London, um, I lived in London from 96 to 2014. The majority of my time in London was spent purely in the music industry. You know, uh, as you mentioned, um, I'm a DJ and a music producer. And when I started producing music, it was very much the old music industry it was still a time of sort of it was quite bountiful you know people were still selling actual physical cds and vinyl to a lesser extent um so there was uh, a model that you could follow and if you got to a certain point you could hope that you might live a sustainable uh have a sustainable future mm. in music so when i started releasing records it was 1998 
And it was just as things were starting to get a little gloomy in the industry. And in fact, there were dark gray clouds looming on the horizon. And why do you say, what, what were the indicators? Well, it was the advent of Napster, right. LimeWire, right. of illegal downloading. And no one knew, especially not the record labels, what was coming down the pipe. Mm. And, uh, and if the record labels didn't know, you can be absolutely sure that the artists did not. And I was one of them. So I released an EP and then I got my first record deal with this independent called Carbon Recordings. It was a very, very exciting time for me. Um, but unfortunately, after I'd come back here and made the recording and got back, it was all happening. Napster was rife, Pirate Bay, LimeWire. I remember going onto LimeWire and searching my own record and seeing there had been 102,000 downloads in the last three weeks. Now, that in itself, compared to a pop artist, is not enormous, mm -hmm. but it's still a lot, you know? Even if you imagine that 15% of that, you know, only 15% of those people would have actually bought the hard copy, it's enough to have made another record on the back of, to have got another record deal on the back of. So You would have felt a bit cheated, really. Yeah, yeah. incredibly cheated, you know, didn't really know what to do. and. And at the same time, I'd also just got a, a major label deal with BMG, and um, and it was it was very much the the last days of when they would um, pick ten artists and throw quite a lot of money at them, and one would hit. Mm -hmm. That was the model in those days, or certainly one of the main models. And um, and actually, as we were recording the album. The dance department at BMG, which had just been bought by Sony, uh, closed down. Our a and was fired. You know, the whole infrastructural landscape of the music business was changing literally in real time for us to see. Wow, you know? so quickly as well. So quickly, so quickly. So basically, um, by the time all of this had happened, you know, there wasn't really much left to work with. And I had to decide what I was going to do next. At the time, also, I was having health problems. Um, I was suffering from depression. And it got to a point where also I was starting to have this coppery taste in my mouth the whole time. And I was losing sight in one eye. And I didn't know what was going on. I was being passed around these various neurologists in London. Finally, I got passed to this guy, uh, Dr. David Heaney, who's now considered like a world authority on epilepsy. Wow. And uh, he sent me to a sleep clinic. And this is after, you know, a couple of years of misdiagnosis. Um, At the time, what did you attribute it to? Because I can imagine a lot of people, when they've got that going on in their personal life, professional life, plus these symptoms coming into the... Yeah. entering stage right you put it probably I down to stress right? yeah I, that's right I put it down to stress and um, and you know the, all sorts of things put on the table you know um, bipolar um, and manic depression so I was put on different medications oh, wow. at the time citalopram you know these things that made me feel like I was looking out of a pillar box at the world you know um, it was a very, very, very difficult time. But once I was diagnosed, I was put on this medication that I still take to this day, Lamotrigine, 
And within four days, I woke up and it was like seeing color for the first time. Wow. I literally, it was this beautiful day like today, wow. which is beautiful blue sky, sunny day. And um, I put on all of this weight at the time. I was about just under 30 kilograms heavier than I am now. Wow. And I remember getting up, going and buying some running shoes and going for my first uh, stumble around the block uh, and going and starting a blog, getting a WordPress account and starting a blog, music blog. This blog ended up being really popular. It was unique because it was me with my little flip cam video camera interviewing underground producers and DJs. And at the time there was no one doing that. And off the back of that, um, I got offers from the BBC. I got offers from Red Bull Music Academy. Air New Zealand gave me my own ongoing show on their international flights. You know, um, suddenly all of these things suddenly came to the fore. It was amazing. So what? What was? What was the diagnosis in the end? What did they? Epilepsy. Oh, Sorry, epilepsy. Yeah. yeah wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so being diagnosed was like this massive turning point in my life. You know, I, up to that point, everything had felt like a real struggle. Um, actually, to backtrack, just as an aside, you know, the reason uh, this had happened apparently was because I'd been hit by a hockey ball in, in the head when I was 15. And, um, and it had caused this sort of traveling clot to wow. move around my brain. Wow. And it was all because of this. But, um, so... You know, it had been this very difficult, difficult couple of years, but the outcome had been enormously positive mm. for me, you know, and had led to this completely new avenue. I mean, I, I, I you know, full uh, um, transparency, I had also gone to journalism school when I was younger and done a lot of broadcasting and student radio, so I did kind of know the territory, but um, it wasn't what I was planning to do in London, put it that way. And um, through these opportunities that emerged because of my music blog, the main, the, the biggest one that came my way was with um, All Saints Clothing, which is a big multi-retailer yeah. in Europe. And they, um, through uh, uh, my compadre, um, Mr. Tom Hutt, and business partner, we um, got going on this project called The Basement sessions which was live bands um, recorded to a very high production standard and um, breaking bands so not well-known bands uh, merging acts and me doing long long form interviews with bands and producers and it did really really well are you are you doing all this um, blogging because of what happened with the illegal downloading? You decided to pivot, or yeah, I just decided to pivot. It actually stemmed from a conversation I'd had with my sister in Devon, who was who was visiting, and she you know she kind of pulled over to the side of the road, and she was like, "Well, you know," she had heard enough of me moaning about the music industry, <laughs> and she was like, "Well, Christopher, what are you going to do?" Yeah. You know, and um, and kind of posed the question directly. And it made me think, okay, well, what have I got at my disposal? And what I had was broadcasting. Mm. So um, so the mistake being? Mistake is coming oh, down great. the pipe. Oh, great. Love it. Keep okay. Going. So the mistake was that we got a little ahead of ourselves. 
Now, with I'm the, not going to blogging. use a lot of the names involved here. Because, uh, with, with the blogging, you mean? No, 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 no. This All Saints thing was very successful for, for us. And um, during, uh, well into it, a few years into it, um, a very well-known CEO of a large uh, multinational came and approached us and said, We'd, I'd like to invest in you. You know, I'd like, I can see, by this stage, sorry, I should add, that we'd, we'd started a small production company and we were doing um, content for other brands like Molten Brown and, um, well, actually any kind of brand that wanted sort of high-end music-related content. And it was going well. So this CEO came along, said, you know, look, want to invest in you. I can introduce you to my contacts. Um, I could be a non-exec, non-exec chairman kind of figure within the business. And I think, you know, it was very exciting for us. Um, and what started as like this idea that it might be a small investment into an agency suddenly broadened and ballooned into this huge idea it was proposed to us to you know like well, well, don't think small think big wow you know and driven by this yes by this ceo figure yeah. so um i pulled other people in who uh friends of mine and colleagues of mine who are very very capable in their own areas and creative and uh, technical uh areas and, um, and suddenly we were in this space where we decided that we wanted to build this multimedia center in the center of London in one of the most famous landmarks in London. Uh, and, um, and, you know, with being driven along by the CEO type figure, like, yeah, this mm. sounds great. It was incredibly ambitious and we, you know, we had to propose it to the foundation managed this particular wow. building we wanted to do it in. And I don't think, retrospectively, this, this CEO figure actually believed that we would ever get past this foundation level. Uh -huh. you know, so paint the picture. What, what was this multimedia centre going to be? The multimedia was going to, centre was going to be, um, it was going to be geared towards the fashion industry. Um, it was in the King's Cross area. Mm. Um, which is the King's Cross development has been you know, this huge multi-billion pound project over the last 15 years and um, it was a, a very sort of centre stage to the King's Cross project and um, it was going to be photographic studios, cafes, a restaurant, a radio station, a boutique hotel, all in one building. Wow. Yeah. This is so different from your passion, love, joy. Like you're just taking down this path, are you? You're just being... Yeah. Because you love music. I mean, isn't that the kind of where it all started? Then you go into this vlogging and... But I just found that I was quite good at leading teams. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like I, I'd found this ability to motivate people mm -hmm. and to... And I, I was enjoying the business mm -hmm. side of it. And mm -hmm. no doubt you know? there was this element of being caught up in the and this is bearing in mind that we don't know the outcome well mm. we can guess the outcome at this stage but 
uh, being wooed by this potential. Yes, that's right. Which is incredibly flattering. And you were yeah, how old? And, yeah. How old at this time? At this point? I was forty. Okay. Yeah. So, or maybe just before, just pre forty. Yeah, late thirties. We uh, presented our concept to the foundation by the stage we had taken on um, you know we had the Queen's real estate agent working for us as to, to be our kind of you know grown up in the room and we had all of these you know like very high profile development law, uh, uh, property lawyers and uh, we had a big team the team ballooned exponentially in a very short time so suddenly it went from a few of us to a lot of us mm. and a lot of costs that went with that, yeah. a lot of expectations from a lot of people. So we proposed this thing to the foundation and they said, yes, we love the idea. We're all go. You can have the space if, wow. you, can if you can raise the covenant. So um, then we started pitching to some very well-known people in uh, UK cultural life. Um, so you're trying to get investors then. You get the green light. Mm. Yeah. It's all now about getting investors. That's right. All about the investors. So um, one of Ricky Gervais' production colleagues wow. came on board. And, and it was, it, he basically became a bit of a, um, a bit of a confidant to me, actually. Mm. He was really, really helpful, very, very kind to me because he could see how incredibly stressful it was. Mm. Um, gave me some very good advice put up a few warning flags for me along the way. Great. But not, didn't wave them hard enough that I actually took any notice because okay. by this stage, I was so personally invested in it. Right. And because you'd put your own money in and used your contacts and your leverage yes. and just kind of created this That's world right. where my money, my time, my effort, my yes. contacts, everything is in yes. this. I just had a, we just had I a I can't baby, see the light for the trees. You know? And, so, and this screams, this screams, sorry to interrupt, this screams sunk cost fallacy, right? But that if you, as human beings, mm. we are almost allergic. Once we've invested time, money, effort, energy into a project to, to at any point recognize that, okay, this is no longer working. I'm going to give it up. It's so hard to do because mm. it's like, well, uh, I've already spent all this, you know, re these resources into it. I'm so close to the I'm end. So I just close. need this one last thing to happen and yes. it all works out. Yeah, That's right. And you, and you can't see the, wood, the trees. Yeah. So what exactly. were some of the red flags that he was pointing out at the stage? Mm, based around people involved. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and their level of commitment. So... Um, you know, mainly everyone who worked on the project were wonderful and incredibly diligent and fabulous to, to work with. In fact, you know, one of the, the things that I'm most grateful for is that I emerged from all of this with so many of those relationships intact, you know. But um, it turned into this stressful behemoth that the key character who had driven the thing in the first place was frantically trying to backtrack from because I don't think he ever thought it would get as far as it did and and had a, a few issues of his own. So what were his motivations then? If he, what was the I point think of ultimately this? he wanted to be part of a, a small agency. You know? And yet he... Uh, he had certain attributes that he didn't have 
control over. Right. So, um, and he was such a charismatic person that everyone fell under his spell. Wow. You know. Uh, and I was particularly invested in it. So I just couldn't, I couldn't see a situation where this bus was going to stop at a bus stop and I could jump off. Right. I just felt, always felt, oh, so close. I can see it. I can see it because we had so much positive affirmation along the way with the acceptance by the foundation, by, you know, um, potential investors Mm. being so positive and, me being in a situation where I've started to have personal relationships with them. Wow. You know, it was... And what's the moment it starts to go wrong? The moment it starts to go wrong is is when my closest team start to jump ship. Right. Wow. Yeah, wow. and they're like, look, wow. we just can't do this anymore. Understandably, you know, this isn't working out. Okay. Um, and, and I ended up in this very fractious relationship with this key character that got very, very heated and, you know, uh, libel was threatened and all sorts of things. It was very, very full on. But I think that from all of this, the kind of the the key lesson for me was, you know, um, to, to, to look at the psychology of it. I think, I think, I think I had, um, come from this music background whilst I had been you know struggling trying to make it all work at the in the era of downloads so frustrated suddenly I've been fast-tracked to this quite successful place through broadcasting and I felt like I whilst my, all my peers were forging ahead you know and in their careers and I thought oh my gosh this is it I can, this is your chance. I can leapfrog mm. a few places and get to where I want to be at the age I want to be now that I've got some child. All of these things. I don't think I consciously thought this, mm. but looking back, mm. I think that was part of the psychological makeup mm. of, of the situation, mm. you know? And, um, and it led me to stop uh, objectively looking at where the project was and to a point where I was just throwing everything at it mm. wildly mm. hoping that it was going to come together you know and um, and this is not as you just pointed out you know a few minutes ago this is not new <laughs> this is a classic scenario mm. but what it what it what I've learned from it in all of my endeavors going forward is uh, that anything I try and build with anyone is collaborative in a different way. Mm. It's like, a, I, I, if I do anything with anybody now, I look at it from a point of view of like, how is this going to benefit the person I'm doing this mm. with? You know, how is this going to, this project going to enrich their life? Do you mean to get a, to get to the core of their agenda for being involved? Yeah, well actually why I want to do something. Okay. <laughs> why, you know, actually yeah. why, why I want to take the journey in the first place mm. is because, you know, because I actually want to work with, I want to have an experience with this person. Mm. As opposed know. to just making a ton of money. Just yeah. in case, just yeah. in, it's not about, to me, it's, it's just not about that. Because the, 
the things that I look back on, once the dust had cleared, and oh my gosh, it took a while, you know, once the dust had cleared, the things I look back upon positively were the tandem experiences I had mm. with the people I really liked around me. Mm. And the, you know, the, the, um, the, the camaraderie of it, you know. And so I, I came out of it wanting to have those experiences with people I like and wanting to, if there's a way that I can bring my own uh, experience and particular specific skills to enrich their own life. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I, I find that these days, if I can do something for somebody else, in a project, then it always, without fail, benefits me in the long term. Mm. It just yeah. So so this so the deal falls over. Yeah, it's all gone spectacularly wrong, yeah. and all the things you've explained. Mm. How do you maintain some of the relationships, or some, or were some relationships destroyed in the process? Well, actually, none of the no, they weren't. That was the bizarre. Well, obviously, Very the key, the main one, oh, sure, yeah, was the CEO had wooed you. And yes, you yes, that was, that was that was over. That was over. So what happened? What happened to him? Did he just disappear? Did he? He disappeared, then popped up in a different role. Yeah. Elsewhere, you know, just seems. And and to close the story, um, mm. around how the deal fell over, was it just because you just couldn't get the right investors, or was there what was the actual? Yes, couldn't get couldn't get the investment. Okay. Um, and the time required. Okay. Um, and I'd lost my, you know, the team had mm. dispersed, so there was nothing. There was no frame. There was no infrastructure to it. Okay. Um, it just wasn't wasn't doable mm. okay. in the time we needed it to happen. Gotcha. Didn't have the support. Gotcha. Um, but you managed to salvage and keep the other relationships with these people. Yeah, yeah. Wow, impressive. Absolutely. Which you is know, testament. Best friends, actually. Yeah, yeah. well, which is testament to your character. And I think so often when people find themselves in a stressful situation, sometimes the relationships are the first thing to go because they're maybe thinking short term and thinking, I've got to get out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. But actually taking the long term view and thinking, well, actually, there are good things to learn from this along the way. We mm. have built a good relationship. We've proven that we can work together. Mm. Hey, just because it hasn't worked out this time doesn't mean we can't yeah. maintain that, yeah. that friendship overall. So I want to know, it falls through, through <clears throat> what was next? What was your next step? Well, we, <clears throat> we decided actually um, we were always going to come back to New Zealand at some stage um, because children, we wanted them to have the same experience growing up that we had had, that quintessentially Kiwi experience and um, we came back early I was absolutely frazzled by the whole thing and um, it coincided at a time where our family business I was starting to get messages from uh, from home saying you know then this needs some fresh blood needs a new vision could you come and you know put some time into it um, we kept kept our place in London, came back here, and we thought, oh, we'll just be here for a short period of time. We'll and come the in. family business being um, uh, importing and um, distribution company yep. that needed rebranding, digitizing, mm. yeah, you know, new suppliers, all of these sort of things. And I thought, well, that's a good project. That sounds Great. totally achievable Great. <laughs> in my current headspace. Oh, yeah, you know? wow. <laughs> and um, and that's and that's what we did and. And actually ended up being one of the best things, best decisions we ever made because 
actually learned so much. It's been a fantastic thing for us. Wow. But boy, was it stressful when wow. we first got back. A part of it, <laughs> just going back to the original scenario in the early days, yeah. what strikes me about the mistake or the people involved was, you know, you speak about this this top dog who was at yes. the head of it all being so charismatic and the ease with which he brought people along with him for mm. the ride. Mm. It's, I think it's so easy to do that with those types of people. So it does make you question, well, you know, what are the motivations? Charismatic people are also drawn to people that can do the doing and that are very talented. So he'd mm. obviously seen something in you, mm. but is there a way of understanding or discerning earlier on, is this actually someone that I want to work with? Or is it just a human thing where we do get caught up in the the wooing of of people who are charismatic? I think um, it was a, it was a, it was a difficult one in this respect because this particular person um, had some issues, um, but professionally had a very very rock solid track. You know, incredibly incredibly well-known oh, okay. in, in the business track record um, had grown some very well-known brands mm. exponentially mm. in was Europe. Was it Simon Cow? <laughs> <laughs> was it? We're just going to go through all the people. Because if it was, that would just, you know, really add yeah. to the story it right now. It would add to the story. We're not going to push Christopher <laughs> no, into the yeah. but yeah. just, just write it on a piece of paper in front of us, so at least we know. No, I'm teasing. Okay, well, that would have validated then, right? So you know he's got track record. Well, yeah, so yeah, there yeah. was there was no speculation. Okay. Um, and, you know, we'd experienced him in a professional environment. You know, we knew how he was perceived by the outside world. It was really a catch, a, a really case of meeting someone at the wrong time in their lives. Because, uh. you know, there were things that perhaps they needed to deal with at that mm. time. So... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't look back and blame myself for that particularly, um, being swept along, you know, speculatively. Yeah. But I, what I do, you know, blame myself for is not getting off the bus sooner. Great. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, you know, as I have just outlined, um, why I didn't was because, you know, I felt I was, I was so heavily invested in it, yeah. leveraged. And also, I think I saw it as the grand opportunity, as the great catch-up mm. after, you know, working in the arts mm. for so long and watching my peers tear past, mm. you know, it's, it's, it was, uh, um, there was ego wrapped up in it, mm. there was unrealistic, slightly naive expectations wrapped up in it, um, but it was you know, the great learning experience of my adult life. What's also quite encouraging hearing this is you talk about naivety and yet you were 40 when this, this happened. Yeah. So it goes to show, yeah. I think there was probably a bit of a misconception that all our big mistakes happen in our 20s and maybe early 30s. But mm. here you are saying, yeah, this, was, this happened in my 40s and it was the big learning curve of your life. So yeah. it's hopefully an encouragement yeah. to people that, yeah, we do still get things wrong from from time to time i think there are so many inputs in our lives you know and so many things that you know how we we try and create narratives mm. oh, to yeah. simplify oh, yeah. our lives you know whether those are narratives are, inc are correct mm. or incorrect 
you know, because we have, there's so much we don't have control over. Mm. So mm. we try and stuff in, everything into a narrative that helps us make sense of our lives, of what we're doing with our lives, of the relationships in our lives. And most of the time we don't have all the information. Mm. And, and if I think about it, putting my past lawyer hat on, um, that's why contracts exist. That is why that you're just not relying on someone's ah. word. You're not, you know, because people are really fickle sometimes and they can change their mind about things. Yeah. Whereas when you put things in writing and it's in a contract, well, you've actually set some really clear terms yeah. and boundaries of how this will operate. Yeah. So the learning, so the learning here, when a red flag pops up, mm. investigate. Yes. Show some detachment. Yeah. There wasn't enough detachment. Mm. That was the that was the thing, mm. you know. So, if you're knee deep in it and you're unable to detach yourself mm. from it, all you see when you look at your phone as you scroll through the photos, oh, that was a great day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, we'll be back there soon. Mm. This is just a bit of a lull. You know, oh, we've still got three weeks to get this together. Yeah. You know. It's all okay. Yeah. He's just having a bad day. He's not well. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not well. That's the problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. know? So it's it's a kind of uh, it's detachment is a huge was a huge mm. part of it. Mm. And as I say, ego. Um, now that's a good segue. Yeah. So detachment and ego. Anna and I were on the plane on the way here. We're now shifting the conversation slightly toward the the music side of things. Uh, and Anna was talking about the fact that as a professional, regardless of what industry you're mm. in, it's really important to be able to detach mm. who you are as a person from what you do or what you produce. Yes. And my counter to that was that I think that's harder to do in some pursuits than it is others, music being one of them, mm. simply because maybe it's more broadly with creative industries, when you're producing someone something that is so deeply personal and an extension of perhaps even who you are as a person, mm. it's hard not to have that tied up in who in in, in yeah, it's hard not to look at that in a detached way I, I came at it from the angle that if someone's work is criticized mm. they take it very personally whereas mm. if you can just look at the work itself and not and accept that feedback mm. then you have a chance of making something potentially a lot better once you just distance it a little bit from your sense of self this work product mm. does not relate to who I am as a person mm. and what Miriam has said is, is a really interesting question which is as a musician that you might feel a lot more invested in something than let's say I did as a lawyer producing a document mm. is that something that you can relate to I think there's a I think there's a lot of ego um, tied up in performance and creation um, when you're younger because um, you see it as so intrinsically part of you and your journey. Um, there's some kind of, you know, reflection of yourself in the product. I think when you get older, uh, you are able to see it as this kind of, you know, because there's, however much emotion is tied into a piece of music or something, it is at the end of the day, like this kind of crafted, artifact you know how to achieve a result based on your experience you know it, it's and it's 
Oh, it's really hard. It's actually really hard to explain. Mm. Um, I, you know, for example, DJing, and this sounds terrible, DJing is, is the one thing in my, uh, my life where I have zero dances to my ability, you know. So there's no zero what, sorry? Zero doubts, doubts as to yeah, my yeah. ability. Right. Like I can, you know, I I can I feel I can get up on a stage anywhere in the world with anyone. Amazing. Amazing. And do really well. Amazing. You know, so I so there's actually no Have you ego always known that? tied up on it anymore. Had you always known that? No. Absolutely not. It took me twenty five years to get there. Oh, so it's now. So now you can yeah, get that. Yeah, since up. about twenty twelve, I think. I kind of Something actually and how old would you have been consciously then? clicks where I thought, oh, I've got it. Mm. How old would you have been then? Um, 41, okay. something like that. So 41, yeah. clicks, you've got this. And is yeah. that because of practice? Yeah, just experience, yeah. I think. Just just, just experience. And, and, and I, I don't know, maybe I was just a late bloomer. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I DJ for an awfully long time before that. Mm. Yeah. And had an amazing opportunities. In DJ world, but I was always sort of, you know, I kind of got through it. I think more on bluster and just I'm a man kind of thing, <laughs> ego, rather than true capability. Like I, I feel I'm in a stage now where I don't. I it's the one thing in my life where I feel completely comfortable and yeah. confident at all times. I remember when we first spoke over the mm. phone a, a couple of months ago. That was something we spoke about, and that. Actually, it's it probably for that point, and maybe it goes back to the naivety. The naivety to have this this confidence mm. probably set you in mm. good stead. And I remember you saying the point at which you realised, actually, I've got this. Mm. And from memory, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a bit of a defining moment where you found yourself at an event DJing that you had this epiphany, like, yeah, I could, I can totally take command of this situation. Is that the case? And do you want to just paint us a bit of a picture? Uh, well, I think I think what you're referring to is actually was a residency I had, okay. um, but it just started. I just started to feel comfortable. Great. You know, I just felt started to realise that I felt unflappable in any mm. situation that I was in, or you, it's almost like I just felt like I saw the matrix. <laughs> you know, that was that was yeah. it. And I, and uh, and I could listen to any other DJ, and I can tell you exactly why they're good. Wow. and what it is about them that makes them good mm. and and I can tell you listen to another DJ and tell you exactly why they're not good mm. you know because there is a methodology mm. to all greatness mm. and certainly in the world that I know do you know what honestly that the game is so different nowadays to what it was when I was coming up in the 90s it was still the wild west mm. you know DJs saw the party lifestyle as absolutely part of the role these days, it is very professional. Wow. You know, everyone is super focused, super prepared. Most people, yeah. you know, super super prepared. Realize that if they don't get it right, there is a queue of people waiting oh, to fill that yeah, spot. Right. So you're glad you were in Ibiza in the time you were in Ibiza then. <laughs> <laughs> so you could enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I definitely enjoyed myself. Probably yeah. a little bit too much, but yeah. but I I think in terms of for the punter. It's a much better scene now because mm. what they're actually getting to experience is Great. a much higher quality of performance. Yeah. Because whoa, it was pretty ropey back in the day. Do you day. think that makes it easier or harder for budding DJs to 
quote unquote make it it's incredibly hard to make it okay. incredibly harder hard. now very hard yeah. now you know because i think personality was such a huge part of it in the 90s big personalities and i certainly had a big personality in my 20s yeah i was pretty i was pretty cocky in my mid-20s you know wasn't ever afraid of telling people how great i was wow. you know and uh, it's a pretty loathsome thing to look back on. <laughs> presumably, in, but presumably in Ibiza, that served you well. I think. I think it just in generally in, in in the whole scene there in Europe, Europe it, it yeah. served me well at that yeah. time. I was like this unknown. Co- yeah, good point. I had some really good clubbing just... experiences in Germany. Right. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. You know, fantastic. <laughs> but um, you know, these days also because it's so te- it's so easy. Um, with digital DJing of course. Um, and you know everything mm. you can sync the beats there's no the technical side of it is much easier to get a grip on right um, you know the selector side of it choosing the right music at the right time is still as hard as it ever was of course. and that's what people <laughs> yeah. forget of course um, but you know when it's done wrong though yeah you know when it's done wrong <laughs> that's right exactly right um, but there, everyone's you know I get so many friends of hours you know who have children and they go oh my gosh my, my son really wants to be a dj my daughter really wants to be a dj you know do you have any advice for mm. them and you know what should they how, what what yeah. should they do how should they get there do they need lessons yeah. and what do and you say i say well no just listen to lots of music yeah. you know mm. it's your musical knowledge which actually all the technical side of it is the smallest bit yeah. the biggest bit is the musical adventure Wow. You know, is going down the rabbit hole, and all that stuff is also a lot more accessible, faster because of yeah. the internet. Like yeah. when, you know, when I started, you know, if you you heard another DJ play a record, and you were like, oh my god, I must have that. Wow. It might be two and a half years before you could own it because then, wow. you know, you yeah. had to hunt for that record and wow. you'd never find it. Wow. You know, so it's a. Have different... you ever had to hunt for a record? No. <laughs> You don't know no. anything about that world. No, unfortunately, it's giving my age away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was an interesting question of mine to just try and remember. You've only ever known music in an electronic form. Oh no! So I grew up with. Oh, this sounds terrible. I grew up with. So I grew up with CDs, and I remember getting a discman for Christmas. Nice. And that was so cool. My dad. Uh, and I think we even talked about this, uh, played a big role in my music appreciation because he exposed me to a whole lot of music from a very young age. And talking to him more recently, that was very intentional on his part. And so he was pleased that it had mm. the effect that it did. Mm. But yeah, I remember getting this Discman and he told me to open the Discman first and then there was a separate package that I unwrapped and it was an Elvis CD because I was a big, big Elvis fan. And but actually, I was going to ask about the the point that you're saying. You know, it's it is harder in some ways now, and you're still getting people that ask you for advice about their kids, mm. because I'm a little bit of a skeptic when it comes to the idea of following a passion. But I think the world is caught up in this idea of passion, passion, passion. If you follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. How do you balance that idea of passion with being realistic mm. and Understanding, you know, what's a hobby, what's a career, appreciating that you do have to earn money, mm. or rather, to frame that in a different way, what are you instilling in your kids to help them manage? Well, that? One, of the, one of the things I learned from what we were talking about in London, my experience mm. in London was, in fact, it's extraordinary. I haven't even mentioned this. Was the fact that whilst I was pursuing this major project, all of my day-to-day work was falling by the wayside. 
you know, I was, I'd taken my eyes off the actual, my core income, Wow. you know, so, uh, because I took it for granted that it was just going to be there. Yeah. And so instead of building on top of an amazing foundation, which is your music career, you completely dropped the ball on it and let it just disappear. So yeah. you lost all your income. Yeah. Not, not all of it. Well, I know, but, but just yeah, yeah. your natural ability, the thing that you are fantastic at, you just let it drop because you were just so caught up yes. in this world. Which was so all-consuming and time-consuming, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and it was more a case that, that things started happening that I had no control over. Uh, for example, um, All Saints, who was you know our client at the time, got a new CEO... Um, who was, you know, a very different type of CEO to the previous one. He was, you know, um, an accountant, mm-hmm. you know, come from Burberry, Asia. And he was just like, what is this underground music thing? You know, we should have One Direction wearing our clothes. <laughs> and so suddenly everything spun on its head and our basement sessions were, we were at sea. So... Um, you know, it only takes one, you know, how in advertising world, you're only two clients away from bankruptcy, mm. losing two clients, mm, you know, and, uh, and that's, and that's really this, you know, it's, it wasn't quite that severe, but it was, I'd taken my eyes off the key mm. things. And, uh, to answer your question, uh, in regards to, you know, what's the difference between a, you know, passion and a really viable job um i think i've been very lucky here and that i've been able to slowly build up my the music side of things whilst all, always having this foundation of the um importing distribution business yeah, ticking along underneath and that's something i obviously learned from my London experience like do not jump ship until yeah. you're absolutely or you know yeah. pivot until you're absolutely yeah. sure yeah. that you're good to go so um, I actually don't think there is a good to go moment. No. Unless you have nothing to lose. Yeah. Which feeds back to something I say quite a lot around um, teenagers and people in their 20s, which mm. is a time to take a, a, a huge amount of risk. That's right. That's right. And if you have nothing to lose, you can pivot and change all the mm. time. So you can go, I'll oh, try that out. What does it feel like? Oh, that mm. was a spectacular mm. fail. Now on to the next, on to mm. the next. Whereas there's this awful question people ask of children, which is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I hope the answer is always a thousand different things and I can't wait to fail and trial them all. Yeah. yeah. And in this day and age, that, that is far yeah. more common, right? It's yeah. our parents' generation that was, you had one career and you yeah, had that right. until you I think that the, die. That's right. The, the Victorian landscape. sausage factory idea is slowly drawing to a close. I think, I'm not you? familiar with the no. Victorian no. sausage factory. The Victorian sausage factory is how some people describe the, you know, the educational system as it stands you know you kind of go in one end you come out the other as an accountant or a lawyer or a plumber or a you know there's like a a feed Mm. you know um and now sort of futurists who exist in that educational space they talk more about like you know well the creatives are the ai proof you know um uh the, the the roles that are around based around creativity are the things that are going to be AI proof mm. in the future. Mm. In the car, you showed me a really good quote that was said. Oh, and you want to maybe get 
Christopher to comment yep. on it. Okay, so this was, we found this online. You can't mm. always trust what you find online. So you can feel free to correct it. You see, you say, even before COVID, I had a strong feeling that dance floor experience, that the dance floor experience is more needed than ever. Dancing was a shared experience that the ancient ritual of coming together under the spell of a rhythm. I think that's a beautifully mm. poetic way mm. to describe what you do. Mm. Any any comments? Do you want to elaborate on that? Oh well, no, that's 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 what it's all about for me. Yeah, it's about a shared experience, mm. and and I, you know, there are moments of just uh, otherworldly. I don't know. It's it's you have moments in clubs and at festivals where everyone is absolutely locked totally aware totally in the moment no one's on their phones mm. you know no one's looking at the stage they've got their eyes closed they're with their friends they're having this experience and you know and you can see people take kind of like having a mental snapshot or they're you know and and they're listening to the music with such detail and focus that the smallest alteration in the rhythm or the introduction of this new the smallest new component will seismically shift what's happening on the wow. dance floor you know and it's the most amazing thing to watch do you see that side of things fading as as people become more phone oriented i think so i think you know a really good if you're doing a job really really well the phones stay in the pocket i agree i did not take any videos when i was in ibiza and music is so powerful that when I listen to music now in my office or when I'm walking or whatever I'm doing, I am transported back to that moment. Mm. And mm. I remember it all as mm. if it was yesterday. Mm. Mm. Wow. Because you, you you know, when you're when you're dancing to a DJ in a proper dance environment, the the sonics are so physical. Mm. Yes. You know, the 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 bass, the bottom end, mm. it moves your diaphragm. Yeah. You know, it's like you feel everything, oh, yeah. not just hear it. Oh yeah. Um, so it's you know it's all of these you know you generally you know if you're in a club, you don't have the same um, visual, mm. sensory inputs. It's all oral. Mm. <laughs> you know you have this kind of um, secondary sense of being surrounded by people who are all having the same experience. Wow. So it's. It's unlike everyday life. Wow. It's completely different. Mm -hmm. And unlike yeah. any pop star concert. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm. Immersive. Visceral. It's immersive. And, and also the fact that you don't recognize a lot of the music. So you're not listening to it in the same way. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You're not like, and here comes the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that. Yeah, you know, course, you're, you're listening to it in a very kind of, you're just listening to the way the rhythms intersect. Almost mathematical and intellectual in, in some ways. Uh, no? I think the opposite, maybe. Oh, okay. I think just in a very kind of primeval, okay. you feel yourself moving to it. Yeah. You know, that's, what, that's the, the thing. I, you know, I was on a walk last night and I was listening to a bunch of promos I've just been sent. Yeah. And most of them are terrible. Yeah. Most of them are just like a kick drum and a clap and an open hi-hat and a little straight hat that comes in and it's all the same, it's all cookie yeah. cutter yeah. dance music. And then you get something sent by, you know, some uh, Venezuelan producer who just has this amazing rhythmic, everything's wow. really loose wow. to the point of falling apart. 
you know, but it's real body music. Wow. And you think, wow, that stands out, stands out so profoundly, you know. Wow. And that's the stuff that, you know, we're always looking for. Yeah. It's, the, it's the stuff that, even though it's made on computers mm. and sequenced on computers, mm. it is so, has so much movement and swing that it just, it's very physical and real. Wow. Know? The way you talk about it is so <laughs> contagious, isn't it? The passion just comes out of you in, in bucket loads, which is very inspiring to, to hear and be oh, on the receiving end of. It's very poetic. Um, on that note, any final questions? I want to know what's next for you. What's on your What's on your plate? What are you looking forward to? Um, well, I've just got a record that's come out. Um, I have a record out at the moment from on Public Position, which is a German label, um, Munich label. It's, I'm very, very lucky. It's one of the best labels in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a collaboration with a guy called Eden Burns, who is New Zealand's top dog yeah. right now, I would say, Amazing. in dance music. And um, I'm proud of it. It's our second EP together. Um, we're always working on new music. Um, we've got uh, hopefully some dates coming together for the European summer. Um, so I hope to be in France and Germany and Spain playing in July. Amazing. July, Amazing. Yeah. And where can people listen to this? Everywhere. It's on um, yeah, every streaming platform. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Christopher Tubbs, DJ, creative, poet. Mistake maker. A mistake maker. Thank you so much. It was, yeah. I, I just loved, and I, I know I speak for Anna as well here, just getting that story at the beginning was mm. so enlightening. And it, as you were saying it, it made me reflect on my own life and potentially the parallels between situations I've encountered as well. And I don't doubt that that will be a big encouragement to the people that hear it as well. Oh, I hope so. So thank you so much for coming thank on the you. show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.